This show includes strong language and may sometimes feature discussions of difficult or triggering topics. Please check the show notes for content warnings. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Movie Catch-Up, a podcast where two friends work on reducing their movie backlog. Each episode, we serve up a double feature discussion of movies we've selected for each other to catch up on. I'm Greg. And I'm Leanne. And we're still chasing our big break. Today we're talking about Glitter and Crossroads. Before we get into the movies, in preparation for this music star turned actress themed episode, we asked on our social media which pop star or stars made the best transition from music to acting. Thank you to everyone who responded. That was great. We got some good answers here. So a few of the names that people gave in response to this question included Lady Gaga, Justin Timberlake, Mandy Moore, and Janelle Monae. Yeah, I wasn't even thinking male pop stars or male music stars in general. That's a good one. Yeah. Justin Timberlake, I think, is an interesting one because I know that he's done a few live-action movies, but I think most of what he's done is, like, animated movie voiceover yeah, work. Yeah, he's done a lot of voiceover, yeah. which, I mean, very fair. A lot of music stars have done a lot of good voiceover. Like, Queen Latifah, I guess she's more a movie star. Yeah, it's good that you bring her up because she's done a lot of, yeah. like, actual film acting. She's yeah. in the Netflix series Hollywood. Yeah. And she's done quite a lot, like quite a lot of movie acting. Um, LL Cool J is another. Yeah, LL Cool J. Although whether or not we want to say that those are pop stars, I mean, I guess generally yeah. speaking, we would talk about popular music performers who've transitioned yeah. and not focus too much on genre. Uh, as you well know, my absolute favorite example of this is uh, the wonderful movie Burlesque, which stars not only Christina Aguilera in her breakout theatrical movie role which i'm not sure she's done anything since but it was a great a great peak to go out on if that's going to be your one movie and then also share who i like i think of as a, like a movie star but obviously also a music star she made a, a great turn to movies with her oscar winning performance moonstruck is yeah. one of my favorite movies ever it's so good. everything she's in is really good the movie she was in mask which i believe she was also nominated for an yep. award for that is also really good, very heartbreaking. She was nominated, I think, for Mask before Moonstruck, and was pissed that they didn't give her the award. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, that's when she showed up in the Bob Mackie dress, the iconic one with the headdress. Yeah, yeah. Presented an award. Yeah. And then, of course, Dolly Parton, 9 to 5. Yeah. I mean, of course, Madonna had uh, quite a long film career for a while there. She was in a lot for like a, a stretch of time there where she really refocused her career into acting not that a lot of it is very highly regarded at this point yeah if we would say that she made a successful transition into acting i mean she was in a lot of things i think she won a golden globe for avita which is still regarded as a very bad casting but But she hasn't done a lot of movie work after that so i'm not sure i would say that there was a a stretch of time where she was in a lot Mm -hmm. she's in quite a lot if you look in like a 10-year period there but I want to say, like, in the 90s, but... Even if her casting in Evita is controversial, I really enjoyed that adaptation. I've seen it a number of times. I think we own it on, I'm going to say VHS, maybe DVD, probably VHS. We have a lot of very iconic movies on formats that we can't watch anymore at home. Yeah. Well, maybe we should jump into our two stars we're going to talk about today. So for you, I picked the Mariah Carey vehicle, Glitter. 
You in the hat. Can I talk to you for a second? Excuse me, ladies, but I gotta talk to you. That was you singing, right? I knew it. I knew it wasn't Silk. He's been ghosting me. What do you mean, ghosting me? Using your voice for Silks. Yeah, but you know what? I'm having a good time, so... Hell no. Hell, you can't let him do that. You have got a beautiful voice. You can't let Timothy use the best of you. Well, what makes you think that's the best of me? So Glitter is a 2001 release. Interestingly enough, it was released September 21st, 2001. About... 10 days after 9-11. Yikes. Uh, this has contributed... A lot of people suggest this has contributed greatly to the big box office bomb that this movie was. Mariah Carey herself says that if it wasn't released so close to 9-11, she thinks it would have been much more highly regarded and done much better than it did. So the director for this is Vondi Curtis-Hall, who mostly has just directed TV episodes of things like Gossip Girl and Firefly, so some like, pretty good TV uh, and then a bunch of TV movies. With respect to Gossip Girl, debatable. It was, I think, an early season, so we can <laughs> we can we can give them that. I'm not sure that's to anybody's <laughs> defense. I mean, as far as TV acting or TV directing gigs go, getting a job on Gossip Girl is probably not like super looked down upon compared to some other things you could be. Directing I'm just thinking for TV. overall of like narrative quality for that show. Fair. Well, he didn't write it, so. You've heard me talk at length about Gossip Girl, yes. so you know my feelings very well. Uh, so obviously, as I said, this stars Mariah Carey. Um, it's probably best to put it as it stars Mariah Carey plus others, because, uh, I mean, there's not a lot of names in this movie. The other name that I would say in this is Terrence Howard. The big surprise for me in this movie was Padme Lakshmi. Is that her last name? Who's, who's she, she is best known as being the host of Top Chef. I was really, really, really She's surprised. In this? She plays the pop show. singer that they oh, use Mariah's book. Yeah. Got it. Interesting. I'm sorry hmm. if I'm saying her name totally wrong. Hmm. Never seen that show, but that is interesting. And then the other name from here I will bring up is Max Beasley as Dice, which we will get to. Uh, that I, that name I had to look up because I thought for a while there is this just a weird looking Ewan McGregor? I'm confused. We'll get back to it. Um, so on the tomato meter, this is a, probably the lowest thing we've ever seen on a tomato meter. This is a 6% critic score. 6%. We'll get to whether or not we think that is justified. Uh, the audience score is a 48%, uh, which to me, maybe still low. I don't know. We'll, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. The tagline is a strength to survive, a desire to dream. Uh, so this movie is about Billy Frank, a shy, young, multiracial girl who's sent away by her alcoholic mother at a very early age. We flash forward to 1983. Definitely uh, not the late 90s, early 2000s. It's definitely 1983. Billy and her friends are spotted by a record producer, Timothy Walker, who wants them to sing backup for his latest pop music discovery. But when super DJ Julian Dice hears Billy's incredible voice, he makes a shady deal with Timothy to get her for himself. Soon, Billy and Dice are making hits inside the studio and falling in love outside of it. Eventually, the pressure of her newfound celebrity puts too heavy a strain on Billy, forcing her to decide what she really wants from Dice and what she wants for herself. So I picked this movie for you um, when we talked about potentially doing a pop star or singer gone into acting. This is 
something I've only seen on TV in I I seen it at least once all the way through on TV and then a few other times just here and there and I remember mostly seeing this after hearing about how bad it was and then like not thinking it was that bad and like kind of wanting to justify it because I love Mariah Carey and I feel like seeing her in things since this especially like Precious where she was really good and other things since that she's been really good in like she can actually act and i didn't think she was that bad in this and that if this had gone a different way she could have had a career more like a share or something where she was up for awards i think she was maybe even nominated for best supporting actress for precious she's really good in that so that's kind of why i thought i picked this one so what were your initial thoughts any preconceived notions you had going into this I remember when this movie came out and hearing really terrible things about it. I, yeah. I remember that it was pretty universally panned as oh, being yeah. really, just absolutely really terrible. Um, so I didn't really know anything about it too much going into it beyond that. I did kind of come across the uh, tomato meter rating and I was very surprised that it was 6%. So I was a little bit nervous going into it. I've seen some shit. A lot of it has much higher score than 6%. <laughs> I'm pretty sure The Greatest Showman has a much higher score than 6%. And I think this is better than The Greatest Showman as far as a movie. Just going to say that right away. I think The Kissing Booth, the movie both you and I oh, hated. And a movie that you graciously watched for me after yeah. I ranted at you about it for a solid hour has a higher I mean, not hitting score. double digits is bad. Oh, yeah. Bad. Um, it's worth noting that both of these movies were incredibly hard to find mm-hmm. to watch. Um, they were not available on any existing streaming site that is available to us here in Canada. So we've had to do a little had bit to, of... Oops, I accidentally <laughs> found this. What a coincidence. This is on a site that is, uh, you know, we'll just leave it at that. We found them. Yeah, definitely had to dig for them. And even having tried to find a way to obtain them not on streaming oh, was also it was a challenge. very difficult. If I was in the States, I could get one for like 5 to $10 rental or something. Only one of the two of them. Yeah. I mean, I ended up finding a version of Crossroads that had uh, a commentary track over the whole thing. And I was just tempted to watch it because I couldn't find an actual version of Crossroads. That's the I, one that I ended up with. Same with Glitter. Yeah. But I didn't watch the, the I ended commentary. up watching the actual version, Yeah, obviously. but. I was really surprised that Crossroads specifically was so hard to find because I, of course, have seen it. And I know that there are people out there that like it and it would be like cult classic kind of thing. Yeah. So to not even be able to find it on like Google Play or like YouTube or Amazon or something like that was very surprising to me. We've been able to find some much lesser known movies. Oh, yeah. A lot easier than this. Yeah. So, I mean... Camp was easier to find than these two movies. Yeah. That's saying something. But generally speaking, I was actually surprised by the movie overall and how much I would say that I enjoyed it. It was a little bit slow to get started. But once we get to the point where, you know, Billy is older and she's an adult and she gets into this deal with dice and everything like that. and And the movie really starts to like move forward. It does get interesting. And, yeah, we'll, you know, talk about the the highs and lows of it. Yeah. So let's get into some of the good. What was some of your highlights of this movie, the best stuff for you? 
Um, I think the best part of this movie for me is definitely the music, specifically the integration of Mariah's music as just a general thing. A lot of it was, I think a lot of it was original music that was written for the movie. This is, this movie has an album that's like an original Mariah Carey album as like a companion to this movie. Like she has like a self glitter is the album glitter. Interestingly enough, um, yeah, same as the movie got panned, did not sell very well when this came out. But a lot of people think it's one of Mariah's best albums, that some of her best writing, some of her best music came off the Glitter album. And 17 years after, in 2018, it went number one. Wow. After A Star is Born, which we'll talk about, the Lady Gaga version came out, Mariah fans felt that this was unjustly given a bad reputation, this movie being very similar to Lady Gaga's version, which she was getting praised for. And they just shot this thing right up to number one on iTunes or something like that. And it got its number one 17 years after it came out. Yeah. The fact that the there was a, an album that went with the movie, just the way that the music was integrated, it fit with the yeah. story. We'll talk more about the music in Crossroads. But like mm-hmm. between the two of them, the music in Glitter, in terms of like how it serves the story and the way that it is yeah. integrated, feels much more natural and oh, yeah. was just generally very well done. I mean, as soon as she sings for the first time, it's very obvious that, like, yeah, Mariah Carey is, she's the shit. She's a star. She's crazy talented. Yeah, that's one of the definitely the highlights of the music for me, too. Interesting that how little non-Mariah Carey music is in this, too, compared to Crossroads, which we'll talk about. Mm-hmm. But it's it's very much a Mariah vehicle on all fronts. I know that some of, I'm not sure how much of it, but I know that some of the story of Glitter is supposed to be um, biographical, but I, I know that like the fact that Billy is biracial is supposed to be part yeah, of that. Yeah, for sure. Um, some of those other elements, I don't know enough about Mariah Carey's life to sort of identify them, but I do I know like that I that was a major component. I do, but I don't. <laughs> yeah, but I do know that was a major component of this story, and I think that was part of the reason why it received bad reviews, but I don't I mean, it's been a while since this movie came out. It's almost 20 years. So it's I don't have it sort of fresh in my mind why. But I think I remember that being it's like a negative that people pointed to for whatever reason. Weird. For me, I actually like Mariah's acting in this. I think it's pretty good. It's not great, but I think she's doing a pretty good job for what she's asked here. I think personally... The thing letting her down here would probably be for me the directing and the writing doesn't seem to be. It's weird because with Crossroads, like I thought a lot of that stuff, which we'll get to, was really good and that it was lifting Brittany up. Or in this case, I feel like it was definitely kind of bringing Mariah down. Like her role isn't super meaty in this compared to like Dice, who gets like more of the plot and conflict and like character arc stuff. Mm-hmm. where she's mostly being dragged around her own story by her boyfriend the whole time, yeah. which will make comparisons to Star is Born with that. But it was really interesting how I felt like the whole time I could see Mariah, like I thought she was doing a pretty good job and she just needed more to sink her teeth into, I think, or more, I don't know, maybe if it was a little bit different than her life too, because she seems to be the best when I've seen her in things where she's being challenged a little bit more, doing different characters in this. She's playing a version of herself, I guess. And maybe that's one of the reasons she doesn't stand out as much. Also because like asking Mariah Carey to be 
this up-and-coming naive pop star is a little bit, you know, maybe that's a challenge. I mean, she's Mariah Carey. From the moment you hear her voice, you're like, yeah, there's going to be a million people sweeping down to, like, pick her up, sign her on a record deal. She is one of a kind, an icon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was of two minds with respect to Mariah's acting because there were some places where it was really good. And then there were some places where she just, like, seemed very flat and kind of checked out in those scenes. Yeah. And it was, like, very strange. I agree. There were some scenes where I don't know if she was trying to act opposite to kind of how Dice was acting and, like, bring herself down and subdue herself because she's being, like, controlled by him or something. Like, I thought a lot of the best stuff was about her mother and... Specifically, the ending, I thought she did really good with basically just for anyone who doesn't want to watch this or hasn't seen it. If we just jump to the ending part, like this whole time, it's a very simple story where she is up and coming pop star, gets discovered by this DJ producer who uh, really helps boost her career, but starts to become overbearing and um, having his own issues. And she has to kind of decide what she wants for herself and She's being controlled by all these people, and by the end of it, Dice is shot and killed, and she delivers this very emotional performance at, um, I believe it's like an award show or something, Yeah, and gives this great speech and sings this wonderful song, and receives a letter from Dice that he wrote before he died, where he's found, um, or they've found, he's informing her that they've found her mother that she's been looking for this whole time. And Mariah reunites with her mother. And it's like a very sweeping, emotional stuff that like got to me. And in a very similar way to the ending of like A Star is Born, except this one's obviously a little bit more of a higher note than the end of like A Star is Born. I think if it had ended off with her singing the song, yeah. which is very similar to it's how just the A, end Star, of a Star is yeah, Born, then it would be the, the parallels would be yeah. much more clear. The relationship she has with Dice, that's definitely pulled from her actual life because her relationship with Tommy Mottola, who was her producer when she first came out, was very controlling like that. That whole thing about him like flying off the handle at her wearing anything like yeah. remotely revealing was very true to life. I don't know if you remember in her very early career, all of her, whenever in all of her promotional things on her albums and stuff like that, she would wear like turtlenecks and like she was like yeah, very conservatively sure. dressed. And then when they eventually got divorced, like she took a, a hard left yeah. turn into, you know, having more control over how she presents herself. So that part is definitely related to the biographic. And it's interesting component. how that's also the trajectory of a star is born basically too, because like in a star is born in a similar way, like, you know, I, I've only seen the Lady Gaga version because I'm uncultured and seen part of the Barbara one, but um, not all of it. And he's very much like, He's the vehicle to get her famous, and then he starts to break down, having... He's really controlling of her, and I guess it's not as much controlling, but, like, as his career goes down and hers goes up, the rift happens, and then he ends up dying. It's, like, it's a very weird how it's... The trajectory of both the movies are very similar. To me, the whole time, I was thinking, so this is Mariah Carey asked to make a version of A Star is Born, or wanted to be in the newest Star is Born. They wouldn't cast her, so she's like, I'm gonna make my own. It's just going to be a Star is Born fanfic. And I'm just going to se- file the serial numbers off, as they say. And it's just going to be slightly altered. In the end, I'm going to meet my mother instead of just being sad. It'll come on like a little bit of a happier note. But basically, the plot elements are all there. Which isn't super shocking, because this kind of a up-and-coming ingenue is discovered. And then the person who discovers her 
is the reason of her downfall or their downfall and they have to split and for her to rise, he has to fall. And like all that stuff is very common in these kind of stories. So I'm not shocked, but it was very similar. In this particular movie, the fallout results because the product or the label thinks that all of the songs on the album that they're producing sound too much the same. Um, Dice is trying to be so controlling over the writing of the songs and the productions of the songs. And when Billy says, you know, I think that I should, you know, work with some other people just to mix it up, then he realizes that he's being forced out and uh, he says some things that he later regrets. But by then, Billy's like, you know what, I've I've had it with the way that you you know. They go to an after party at, at an awards show. And he flies off the handle and forces her to leave because she's talking to another guy, uh, another musical performer who she ends up being able to work with once she gets out from underneath his control. You know, even just like the things that she's wearing, that she's being told to wear by, you know, her stylist and her publicist, you know, people who are, you know, she's not choosing this stuff for herself necessarily. And, you know, he's treating her like she's deliberately, you know, dressing herself in a way that's going to make people look at her, which is kind of the point because she's trying to establish herself in the public so that she can be successful. And he's constantly working against her, even though he's also trying to help her. It's a weird dichotomy. And it's interesting how a lot of his actions are framed as like Dice is doing the right thing for her. At least I thought a lot of it was framed like that. Like, she goes to her first music video shoot and they're basically wanting her to be naked and like have all these naked men writhing around her. And she's super uncomfortable looking like deer in the headlights and her publicist comes running in. And like, this is the first time meeting her publicist and just spewing things at her. Like, you're going to do this, 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 this. We're going to get a whole new look for you. And she's so overwhelmed. And the only person standing up for her in that scene is dice, but he's doing it in a way where he's speaking for her. She doesn't get to make the choices or anything. He's making these choices for her. But also, he seems to be framed as making the right choices in that scene. Like, in a few of these scenes early on, like, Dice is standing up for her in a way that the movie seems to frame as, like, yes, he's standing up for her in a good way. Or, like, this is, she needs to get out of the situation, and Dice will get her out of the situation. Like, it almost, for a while, I was confused because I'm like, he's seemingly very overbearing, even from the beginning. But also, no one is standing up for her. She's not standing up for herself. He's the only one that seems to have her interests in mind. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the slow progression of his control over her. Not even very slow. Well, I mean, like, the slow progression of the the movie acknowledging that it's bad. You know, like, he's acting in her best interest because that's that's what she wants, yes. But he's also doing it because he wants to continue to exert control. Yeah. So he's like, I'm making this call because Mm -hmm. I don't want, you know... the label to be the one making the decisions for her. Yeah. And it's when his um, decisions allegedly in her best interest are clearly less and less in her best interest and and more because he's jealous or because they are in his best interest. That's when we start to sort of break away from that. Yeah. And then the relationship ultimately ends. But yeah, the movie takes a little while to like go. This is bad from all angles. Yeah. Um, So as far as other positive things I've got down on my list. Personally, I really like a lot of the fashion in this movie. I thought a lot of the the sets were really fun. Like, some of the club sets were really fun. I liked a lot of the visual stuff in this movie. Apart from, like, the weird use of slow-mo, which we might get to, and some, like, weird visual effects, I thought it was filmed pretty well. Like, for a movie filmed in 2001, like, it looked pretty good. 
Like, it didn't look like a shoddily thrown-together movie. I thought it, like, the quality of that part of the filmmaking stood up. A lot of the sets were really great um, in the clubs. I especially like the one outfit I want to bring you out to is... I think it's one of her second or third outfits she's wearing where she's in the club for the second time. She's got her, like, weird baseball hat on that's, like, flipped up and her pigtails. And I think it's used on a bunch of the posters. And it's and like, her sports top. And it's super cute. Mariah Carey and pigtails. Super cute. I thought it was great. A lot of her looks are great. Yeah, the first I, I, club shot where they're all in the cheetah print. It's great. Mm-hmm. Or leopard print or something. It's not 80s. None of this was 1983. Yeah, I was just going to say, I agree a lot that the visuals were really good and the costuming was great, but like, there's no way that you no. can look at this movie and think it was an 80s. It was 100% early 90s, which is when Mariah, yeah. you know, was starting her career, so it would have made the most sense for them to just set it there anyway. I'm not sure what the decision was in setting it in, like, the mid to late 80s. Wasn't she, like, late 80s kind of when she got her start? I think her first album came out in 92. 92. I'm not okay, sure exactly of what the year is, but... I agree. It needed, like, it's a very 90s-looking movie. Yeah very 90s, which I'm not going to... Like, even the little cap against. she was wearing with, like, the yeah. flipped-up rim, like, that's a very iconic 90s, yeah. like, early 90s look. The whole... All the club scenes were... This was not an even 80s the music was club. was very, like, yeah. early 90s. Like, everything yeah. about it. This is the 80s. Everyone wants to dance. Like, well, they're not dancing to 80s pop or some sort of 80s-style-influenced music. Like, this is all very, like, early 90s, a lot of R&B influence... Like, it's Mariah's music. It's yep. not going to sound like it came out of the 80s. Yeah. Which, I mean, yeah. So a lot of that's in the bad thing. Well, we'll maybe get to that. But as far as taking it out of this is supposed to be the 80s, the music itself and the visuals itself, I did enjoy. I did like um, Billy's relationship with her two friends for the most part. Like, I think that it was a good dynamic that they had. They weren't used very well, you know, once they get removed as like her backup singers or it basically becomes a solo show then whatever but for the most part i liked them yeah i mean it's interesting watching two movies this week about a group of three female friends and how the one movie is about a group of three female friends and the other movie has three female friends in it but it's not about them (laughs) yes uh this is very much mariah's story and her friends are there is mostly comedic relief, which there's some funny scenes of them like being comedic relief, and that part worked for me. But it was a little unfortunate that it's like every 15 to 30 minutes in the movie, it's like we're gonna pop back and like have a 30 to one 30 second to one minute scene. Like, oh yeah, they're still there. Like they'll she'll phone them at the apartment, or they'll be watching her on TV at the apartment, mm-hmm. and then they'll be at a party maybe. Yeah, we'll we'll get to some of that stuff. So let's get to what we think didn't work for us. Maybe some of why we think it got the 6%. Personally, I think most of this movie is extremely competent in the way that a average early 2000s movie like this is competent and gets maybe like a 50 to 60% on the tomato meter. And as a movie, people mostly just forget about because it's good, but it's not going to blow your mind or change your life. I don't know why this got 6%, because it is very, by the numbers, competent. So, But there are some things, obviously, that I can see why. Uh, What were your big things for the the reasons it didn't work for you? I mean, 
I don't think there was anything that like didn't specifically work for me. Yeah. Like you said, it's a solid story, but it doesn't wow you. Like when you said yeah. that the the audience score was forty eight percent, I was like, yeah. I feel like that's probably a more reasonable yeah rating of it than like six percent. Six percent seems very aggressively negative. Yeah. And that this movie certainly doesn't warrant well, a score that low. Why don't I just read a couple of them while I brought sure. it up? So some of the critic reviews, uh, we've got uh, the best part of this dud, the one where she's singing. This is what she does best and what she should stick to. Save your money and watch her videos for free on cable music television networks. A very of the era review. This fails to convince on several levels Carrie's assumed edginess. Beasley's faltering Brooklyn accent as Dice, turns from such celebs to, as rappers DeBrat and soul vocalist Eric Bennett, the half-hearted 80s references, Hayes retro effect, glitter lacks sparkle, hilariously inept showcase, a sugary overproduced power ballad of a movie, too washed out and worthless to even be so bad it's good. Funny thing is most of these reviews are recent. One is from September 9th, 2020. Zero out of four stars. Like, why are you reviewing Glitter in 2020 to give it a Rotten Tomatoes zero out of four? I don't know. I mean, even the critics' consensus, which is Glitter is a hodgepodge of movie cliches and bad acting that's sure to generate unintentional laughs. Unfortunately, the movie is not bad enough to be good. Like, that doesn't make any sense to me to justify a rating that low, because there are lots of movies that are just a hodgepodge of like movie cliches and bad acting that people like or, you know, would maybe are not good, but would still receive, you know, a critical review that ranks higher than six. Six percent just seems like people looked at Mariah and didn't consider her attempt to try an acting performance to be uh, appropriate for her and basically only use that as their basis for judgment. Well, I think for me, the only reason I would give this anything lower than just like an average 60 or something like that, the only thing I can find a standout bad for me is Dice, the actor who plays them, who the whole time I just looked at and thought, you're just Ewan McGregor, but weird sounding. Like, I do agree his accent was really weird. I couldn't put like a pin into it. I guess Brooklyn makes sense. I thought he was doing a great disservice to Mariah in this movie because they have so many scenes together. She has to act opposite him the whole time. And I thought he was so cheesy and off the whole time. Like he wasn't Bradley Cooper in a star is born. That's for sure. Like if she had someone to act across like that, just like Lady Gaga had in a star is born, I think that would make all the difference. Someone mentoring and guiding a new actress in the craft. She clearly has some potential here. Mm -hmm. If she had someone like Bradley Cooper, someone who's really there, like, I'm going to support you. I'm going to help you. We're, we're acting in this together. Whereas she's just seemingly acting across from this one note, hammy guy. He is just such a weird character. Like he's showing up to an awards event with a, unbuttoned silk shirt bare chested with just his tacky necklace that just says dice on it whenever they're having sex he's wearing his weird necklace that says dice on it it's really long and probably dangly and like that seems uncomfortable like just it's just gonna dangle i don't know he's so weird there was a whole trend of videos on tiktok not very long ago specifically about that kind of thing about you know having sex with your boyfriend or whatever 
and whether or not he takes off his jewelry. <laughs> so it's very I funny to me. I think the answer is yes, you take it off. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, there's no positive way to frame that. And I think that also definitely works to cement that this movie is not set in the 80s, because that is, again, a fashion style yeah. that was very popular in the early 1990s. He's wearing so, tight leather pants the entire movie. I mean, I'm, leather is probably a big thing in the 80s, but like, again... It was... He looked like he came out of an NSYNC music video the entire time. Oh, absolutely. I think the other thing about Dice is like, his character is at 11, like, the whole yes, time. Yes, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. I think like... have in, a gradual progression into madness, like Bradley Cooper's drug addiction and all this in Starsborn. He's not going from... Like a three to an eleven, he's going from an eleven but caring about her to an eleven but caring about himself, and that's the only real shift. Yeah, I think. I think like in a lot of other movies we've talked about, like certain performances like that, and even for Mariah's performance, it really comes down to the type of direction that they were yeah. given because it was obvious that he was performing that way because the director was saying, "Do it like that." Yeah. So you know there were choices that were being made, and some of those were maybe. Not great. Also, from the start, if someone introduces themselves as Dice or Lucky Sevens or whatever he calls himself, and he's a DJ, and he wears outfits like that, and he says, I'm going to make you a star, you don't do it. You walk the other way. He had Stranger Danger written all over him from the first time we meet him. And, like, Timothy, the other guy she's with, who seems like an actual established producer not some random dj from a club who came up to you who like clearly has ties into this music industry and like dresses like a normal person has a normal name like timothy like i would go with that person personally even though he turns out to be a murderer and a terrible person but we didn't know that at the start even though he used your vocals for his girlfriend's music career without telling you or giving you yeah. credit or a lot of other shady things and then at the point in the movie though like i don't know this dice guy had no written all over him. I mean, it just comes down to Billy having this very trusting personality and this naivete yeah. in the industry where somebody's like really excited about her talent and like really wants to work with her. And you kind of get swept up in that where, you know, Timothy is somebody who, yeah, maybe is a little bit more professional, but clearly is not interested in promoting you yeah. so that you can have success like she i think she had a good sense that she was always just going to be a backup well she said like at that point like hey i'm just doing this for fun with my friends we're just back of dancing it's like it's just a chill fun thing we're doing yeah yeah definitely she it was more dice's dream friends wanted to yeah it, her being catapulted into stardom was yeah. more dice's dream for her yes and for less sure. her personal dream for herself I just think with Dice, it would have been a much more interesting choice if he had had some <laughs> growth in that way. I feel like if you fix the problem with with Dice, this movie becomes a lot better. I don't know if it becomes... Maybe that's one of the big reasons people gave it a 6%. I think it reflects badly on Mariah, his acting. And he's really the one who gets a lot of the story beats in here. Like, he's the one who is in debt to this Timothy guy for 100 k can't pay it off is in is having this emotional arc of um like not being useful to to billy anymore after she's kind of gone her separate way to become a star and he's just making music and his 
house with his friends and like is going through all this stuff and so much of this movie is about him. Yeah, it definitely reads like it could be his story, but it's not framed that way. I mean, it wouldn't be a more interesting story if it was his story. Because Billy really doesn't have much of a character arc. She has like like a physical, like I started off as this poor dancer, got discovered, became famous, but she never really changes. It's not even like a lot of other movies where she becomes conceited and big-headed. She's not, I know we're going to get to it, it's not like in Cheetah Girls, which we will make you watch, where Raven Simone, and this is the same with like Josie and the Pussycat, things like that, where it's like, oh, I don't need my friends and my backup dancers anymore. I'm the star now. I'm the best one. She doesn't have any of that come with her fame, really. She is the same the whole way through the movie. Josie and the Pussycats is a very interesting thing to point to, specifically because that movie is a lot about being brainwashed by the movie or the music industry. But that's a a, a common trope. It's a common trope in these movies for the girl group, the one to get conceited and think she's above it all or whatever. But Mariah never has a turn where she thinks she's above dice or she's better than her current team or her producers or she doesn't get what we kind of think of as a 2020 version of Mariah where it's like, shoot me from my good side only. And like, and she's going to just show up late and like all that kind of stuff. Right. We don't get that Mariah in this at all. We don't get scenes of Mariah performing where she in the middle of a song is telling her backup singers to not sing her part of the song. (laughs) No, we don't. I recently saw there's this trend on Twitter where people put together like a so-and-so said, and it's just like, uh, a bunch of clips from them with videos where people are like quote yeah. quoting like posting tweets of like quotes of things that they said. Yeah, I've seen that. And the Mariah one is incredible because a lot of it is about the weird questioning about Jennifer Lopez and like the weird beef that they had. But there were definitely like a couple of performances where she's like yelling at her backup singer like stop singing my part of the song like in the middle of her performance or even like she's told the audience to like stop singing along yeah. with her like all kinds of stuff. Oh, so Mariah that would have been a character. She is capital D diva. Which is why I think she's a much better actress than you will give her credit for. Because, <laughs> she, like, if you see her in things like, and he come back to Precious, like, you would never know that's Mariah just because of how she acts in that. Mm-hmm. I definitely think she needed a little bit of an arc in this, though. Like, an emotional journey through not just things happening to her and her being thrust into fame, but for her to take an emotional arc through that. Which we... Would have got with the mother, which is another thing I want to bring up, is her whole plotline with her mom. Like, this movie starts with, like, a five-minute, it felt like five minutes, of her as a kid and her alcoholic mother who had her come up on stage at the bar and sing with her when she was too drunk and uh, the burning down of the house and, like, all this stuff of her as a kid, her mother um, crying and, and saying, I know you're getting sent away from me, but I'll find you one day and we'll be reunited and all this stuff, right? It's all set up. And then it's really not touched on in the movie, except for two very short scenes in the middle. One where she goes looking for her mom, um, trying to find records of her. And the records stop and they can't find her anymore. And she's very sad about it. And then another time where she sees a woman on the street who may or may not be her mother, who is singing and looks a lot like her mother. And she like walks past this woman and... Those are the only references to her mom apart from the opening scene, which seems to cement this is going to be her arc or like her character journey is her and her mom. Like it's very important. It opens the movie. And then we don't really get anything until the very end of the movie where it's like, oh, by the way, we found your mom. And then she has a heart 
a heartfelt reunion. I feel like if that was more of a through line, it would make more sense. Considering her house burned down because her mom fell asleep with a lit yeah. cigarette, like if part of her characterization was that she was really anxious about people smoking. I mean, yeah. And just like making that, or like being worried about things catching on, like just making that sort yeah. of part of her personality because that kind of, you know, trauma related memory would probably come up for a lot of people. You know, that would be a worthwhile way of carrying that introduction through the rest of the movie. Even if she wanted to become famous so that maybe her mom would see her on TV and come find her. I, I think I was definitely expecting that to be an element of it. Yeah, and then it, didn't it really seem to be. No, it wasn't. But like if she wanted to become more and more famous and and really get her name out there, like maybe my mom will come find me again or something like that. Like I was even surprised that like her mom in the end is living a well-adjusted life just somewhere in Maryland, just totally fine. Has, does her mom, is she Amish? Like, has she not heard of Billy, the most famous singer in the world currently, who's selling out Madison Square Garden in one minute or 20 minutes or whatever it is? Like, But I mean, if Billy ended up being, like, in the foster system or something like that, you know, if her mom got back on her feet, like, there should be a way for her to, in yeah. the reverse, be able to find well, she, out where her daughter ended up. She's pleading with her when she's getting dragged away, like, I'm going to come find you when I'm better. Yeah. And then we they don't just even, kind of, like, weirdly bookend it with yeah. a happily ever after. It's not like, hey, Bomb, did you ever actually come look for me? <laughs> yeah. We don't get a scene like, I looked you forever, but they said you were dead, or, I don't know, something, right? Yeah, and they barely even say anything to each other at the end of the movie. Basically, Billy shows up in her town car, and her mom comes out, and they, like, smile, and they embrace, yeah. and then, like, roll credits. Like, that's the most that we get out of it. I think I, like, got a little bit emotional about it because, like, it was a good scene. Yeah. But, like, they well, definitely could have done more with it. And tying it into, like, it. her reading Dice's letter made it more emotional. Yeah. Like, she's reading the letter of her dead boyfriend that's, like, oh, by the way, we found your mom. And it's, like, bittersweet and all this. But, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, I don't know. Honestly, I can't find too much in this apart from some weird editing, like, effects that made it seem oddly put together like there's some weird use of slow-mo in this where like dice is like on the club floor as a dj like hey everyone sing into my mic or whatever dumb thing he's doing when he's walking around the floor with the mic Mm -hmm. and then like he goes to hand it to billy and everything goes all weird and slow and warpy around them and he like goes to a slow-mo passage and like it happens a few times so there's some weird editing choices the script could have used a couple more passes but the filmmaking was competent enough the script wasn't bad None of the acting was so bad that it would put me in, like, Showgirls or The Room territory, which is other 6%-esque movies. So it is a little confusing to me. And I do agree that if this was not released 10 days after September 11th, I feel like people would have seen it. Like, you've got to think that that's going to really affect any movie that came out of that time. I was watching, or not, sorry, I wasn't watching. I was listening to the podcast Wire Dads the other day, and which is a podcast by uh, Sarah Marshall, who's one of the hosts of You're Wrong About, where they look at and sort of think about their relationship to their own fathers through the lens of pop culture, blah, blah, blah. And they were talking about this movie called The War that has Kevin Costner in it. And she was really surprised that she'd like never heard of this movie because apparently it's very good. And it's another movie that came out very shortly after 9-11 happened. Mm-hmm. And it was also very shortly after Forrest Gump came out which also deals with, like, the Vietnam War as part of the story. So it's another movie that's very good that, you know, kind of got brushed aside or forgotten about because it got overshadowed by this much larger event happening. 
I don't remember this even hearing about this being in theaters at the time. Like, I don't know if when I was that age I would have wanted to see Glitter in theaters. Probably not. I was probably way too deeply closeted to, like, go see a Mariah Carey movie. I know we're going to watch Showgirls down the road, but I feel like it's very worthwhile to point out that it actually has a 20% little bit of rating. Wow. Showgirls is fundamentally, on every level, a terrible movie, and that is shocking to me. Yeah. I was just curious, but I mean, I I mean love that's Show a big Girls, difference. But that is, wow, this movie is so competent. Even just, so I uh, stumbled upon this movie on YouTube, or I stumbled upon a very long YouTube video that seemed to be very similar to the movie Glitter that I then watched, to say that. And all the comments were people basically saying, like, I love this movie. This movie made me so emotional. This is so good. How can people hate this movie so much? I think it's a lot of groupthink, obviously. Like, a lot of movies can get really high or really low on a tomato meter just because of, like, weird critic groupthink. Like, who, what critic is rating this in 2020 just to give it a Rotten Tomato? Yeah, even on Rotten Tomatoes, like, the disparity between the number of critic reviews and the number of audience reviews. Yeah. There's like 45,000 audience reviews putting at 48% and there's like 87 critic reviews. So like the balance is very uneven. And like I said, you know, I think 48% is probably a more appropriate place to start from. I don't necessarily agree that 48% is the right rating for it, but it's definitely much closer to where I would probably put it. I would be very interested if they had done this just as a Star is Born, with maybe a few twists in it to make it more Mariah, how that would have done, if it even just had the prestige of a Star is Born. Because a Star is Born is not particularly a great movie, in the sense that, like, why has this been remade so many times when it's not a great story, really? It's just a very simple story that they keep remaking. Mm-hmm. But people get this weird thing where it's like, oh, it's a Star is Born, it's prestige. It's like, oh my god, you're Lady Gaga's the new lead in A Star is Born. That's such a huge, massive role. It's very similar to this movie, just with an insanely higher budget and a bunch of people behind the movie that were really dedicated and like really like passion, passionate about this and all. Like, I didn't get a lot of passion out of this movie so much. Like, it, it seemed a little bit like film paint my numbers in a lot of ways. But if it was treated with a budget and like they hired a big name director, I think Mariah could have pulled it off, maybe as well as Lady Gaga did. I don't think Lady Gaga was, like, exceptionally, fundamentally, like, wow, she blew it out of the water, give her an Oscar. I just thought she was good. Yeah, she was good, and I agree that... It was Bradley Cooper's story, so similar to this. Yeah, but at least in A Star is Born, you know, it's more about the relationship of the two characters and his issue and the way that it impacts her career, as opposed to Glitter, which is really framed more as being about Billy and then is not really yeah. so much about her at all. So I feel like in A Star is Born, some of the highlights are that we really know what she wants. She tells us explicitly on screen what she wants, her goals in life. We get to know her as a nobody. We really get to know the character. And her and Bradley Cooper's character both have these arcs. And they intersect. And it's tragic. And all those elements are loosely in here but if they were really brought to the forefront i you know, i just i want to defend mariah carey i think she's great i think she's done dirty i'm glad that this album went number one 17 years later listen to a few songs off it like it's it's really good i mean you could basically say that about any mariah carey album 
they're all amazing. I think this movie just suffers from coming out at the time that it did, where, you know, the social attitude towards pop stars was not very positive. I mean, Um, it came out very similar time to Crossroads, and we see how that's treated as well. Yeah. But, you know, this was a time where, you know, Much Music still had their end-of-the-year review thing with Ed the Soft, where he would, like, you know, talk about the worst music videos of the year, and, like, a lot of pop music always landed on that. And we always, you know, really talked negatively about pop stars. You know, it was probably not until further into the early 2000s that I decided that I needed to just admit that I liked pop music and yeah. stop acting like that was a thing that was bad. So, you it's know... a lot of that uh, teenage girls like it, therefore it is bad. Absolutely, yeah. Like, I remember all of the marketing and, like, you know, posters and all of the, yeah. the advertising for this movie before it came out. And I think I remember, you know, a lot of people just expecting that it was going to be bad because, you know, Mariah was not an actress. But beyond that, I don't think I hmm. I really remember much. And then, of course, you just remember hearing that it was bad. But that, and then that acted as, you know, a catalyst for me to never go out and watch it and form an opinion of my own. So, but here we are. So what would you give this one on our tomato scale or ketchup scale? Would this be perfect as is? Could it use a little ketchup or do you douse it? I would say that it could use ketchup. It's not, like I said, you know, it definitely feels like around the 50-ish percent mark in terms of overall quality. And there are certain things that can be changed to improve the movie overall. But it's not a bad watch. Not all the performances are great, but they're not terrible. And I was able to sit and watch it. And when I got to the end, I was like, I don't know why this movie is talked about so poorly. Because it's like, it's not terrible. I would put it on that same, I would give it like a a good 60-ish percent. It could use some ketchup. I think a better, like another pass of the script, a better director, maybe like a really strong male co-lead would have been a lot better. Mm Mm-hmm. Bridal Barbie! She was my wish. Looks like you're getting your wish. I know. Lucy, I think this is yours. My locket. What did you wish for? I I wanted to find my mom to see her again. Did you ever find her? No, she lives in Arizona and my pop, (laughs) he doesn't think it's a good idea, so. What'd you wish for? <laughs> a keychain? No, the world. That I was gonna get out of this crappy town. Go all the way to California. Put my feet in the Pacific Ocean. <laughs> There's a wish that's not coming true for a while. Yeah, I'll let you know, Kate. Is that supposed to be? So for you, I asked you to watch the 2002 release Crossroads, which stars Britney Spears, Taryn Manning, Zoe Saldana, and Justin Long. Dan Aykroyd, Kim Cattrall, and Anson Mount. Uh, This movie is directed by Tamara Davis, who, before doing movies, uh, primarily directed music videos, including for Depeche Mode, The Smiths, Hanson, The Bangles, Indigo Girls. And of her movie direction, she directed the movie Billy Madison, Best Men, Half-Baked. And after she directed Crossroads, transitioned into primarily directing TV, and she's directed episodes of shows including My Name is Earl, Ugly Betty, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, Younger, and The Politician. And those are just some highlights of like a very diverse list of director credits. She's done quite a lot. 
And this movie was written by Shonda Rhimes. Yes, that Shonda Rhimes, who has written such shows as Grey's Anatomy, Scandal, How to Get Away with Murder, just to name the big ones. The tagline for this movie is, Dreams Change, Friends Are Forever. And it has a tomato meter score of 14% for critic and 34% audience. More than double glitter. (laughs) (laughs) Much lower on the audience percent, though. Yeah. And the premise of this movie is childhood friends Lucy, Kit, and Mimi have grown apart as they've matured towards adulthood. On the night of their high school graduation, they each reluctantly reconnect to unearth a box they buried as children with their dreams for the future. When Mimi announces she's taking a road trip to California to audition for a music competition... Circumstances align, leading to Lucy and Kit joining the trip and rekindling the friendship that once was. So what were your initial impressions about this movie? What did you know about this movie going into it? So I knew, like, a fair amount. I think I'd seen, like, even a few videos on it, specifically Lindsay Ellis's uh, former ego, the Nostalgia Chick, did an episode on Crossroads that I'd seen a couple times. I... I knew a decent amount of it because it was the Britney Spears movie. Like, I knew it as the Britney Spears movie. It was on TV occasionally. People talked about it. I mostly heard how much of a flop it was. Similar to Glitter, where it's like, oh, it's bad. Oh, Britney can't act at all. Um, Like, it's cringy, kind of. Like, I'd heard that kind of stuff about it. And it's funny how I'd never actually... I I have specific memories of being like, I'm going to go watch Crossroads. Specifically after watching, like a Lindsay Ellis video on it or something and specifically wanting to go seek it out and watch it, but never actually doing it. So I was excited when we came to this to actually get a chance to watch it because I love Britney Spears. I was a closeted Britney Spears fan for a long time, just loving her music before I just like became an open Britney Spears stand. Weren't we all? Femme Fatale is her best album. I will fight people. I love her. And especially in this era of the free Britney movement, I think it's good to go back and look at something like this. Yeah, yeah, and I really enjoyed it overall. Honestly, I think it's a pretty good movie. Like, I think it's good. Like, I liked it a lot. Yeah, I was shocked, but not really. After watching it and seeing who's behind it and who's in this, like, it's got an amazing cast. I have quite a lot of good things to say in the good section for this movie. I remember. Um, In terms of the story, like, it's not... A wildly original story, you know, no. friends who've grown apart, come back together. Um, there's a road trip. There's a road trip. There's um, a karaoke scene. I will say, um, as I was watching this, having, you know, seen a good amount of Grey's Anatomy and, you know, some of the other work that Shauna Rhimes has done, that Lucy having... So Lucy as a character who's played by Brittany mm-hmm. is being like a goal has been set for her it's not her own by her dad to go to medical school and become a doctor yeah and her mom left when she was a child and part of the reason why she's going on this road trip is because she wants to stop in arizona arizona so that she can find her mom and reconnect with her and i just thought it was very interesting based on shauna rhymes you know largest body of work that we have a character who's supposed to be going into a medical field who has an absent or distant mother. So it was like very much in her oh, wheelhouse. There's in Shonda her... Rhimes all over this. Oh, yeah. I watch everything Shonda Rhimes pretty much religiously. I've fallen off recently. Like, I stopped Grey's Anatomy after season Emptieth Billion when they killed off everyone I cared about. I watched a fair amount of How to Get Away with Murder. I love Scandal. 
But you can see her fingerprints all over this, in my opinion, in a very good way. Like, this is a traditional road trip female friendship movie, which we shit on female friendship movies. I just want to say that. And female friendship movies are great, and we need to stop shitting on them, because movies like this are wonderful. Seeing these girls, like, I love how... That's my favorite part of this movie, is that the three girls, because... All of them are important to this movie. All of them teach each other things. They all grow from each other. And by the end of the movie, all their lives have been interwoven in this way that I thought Shonda did a great job of writing it. Like, the script is so solid. It gives them all stuff to do, especially because it gives the heavy lifting to the two friends and not Brittany, which is a very good call. I will say that now. But it works. I really like the script of this movie. Yeah. I think it's worthwhile to, to talk about the fact that, you know, we talk so negatively about female friendship movies when like movies about male friendships and like yeah. male group friendships are made constantly and everybody, you know, always upholds them even when they're, you know, ridiculous and trite and predictable. Yeah. <clears throat> a lot of this reminded me of like a proto cheetah girls, which I'm going to have you watch soon. And so it'll be interesting to compare the two, but this comment is not going to make any contextual sense to me <laughs> until I watch this movie. I'm not going to say why it reminded me of that, basically. <laughs> but just, I love movies like this, where you've got the three girls all representing different archetypes. Um, I like, you know, Lucy is the kind of shy, nerdier one that... Um, it, her big thing at the beginning of the movie is that she didn't want to leave high school being a virgin. Um that on her prom night, she, her and her three, a lab partner of three years is also very nerdy. We're just going to do it and get it over with. So they didn't go to college virgins. And then she kind of backs out. That and, scene was uh, played by Justin Long. Real weird. I liked it. I have a few comments down about that scene because it was one of the cutest, like most awkwardly, romantically adorable, weird sex scenes ever. Like I love it. She walks out with like, to this cheesy Marvin Gaye song, um, wearing like his tux shirt and just underwear on, doing the stupid dance, and like it was cute. I mean, there's definitely parts of it that are good. You know, the fact that she gets into bed with him and then she's like, "Okay, read the list," and like yes, remind me why the we're doing list this. is so funny. The part that bothers me is like when she decides that she's like, "No, I'm not ready to do this. I've changed my mind," and then he's like begging her to like please just have sex with me so i don't go to college a virgin i'm like people going to college virgins is very common also being a virgin is not a bad thing no. despite what everybody will tell you and like it made sense for justin long's character i thought it you're not serving you know any good for anybody by like begging her to have sex with you like, it was just... Uh, it didn't turn weirdly rapey or anything. No, 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 no. It just was uncomfortable. I guess. For me, I thought it was it was cute. I thought it did a good job of setting up Lucy as a character, even. I like that Lucy has talented at repairing cars. She's really good with math. She's really quick-witted and smart. And she just had all these cool things going on for her that I did not expect Britney's character in this movie to have any depth. I'm just going to say it. Like, I thought this going in was she, all the characters were going to be very one-note that they were all going to have one trait and just be very static, where everyone kind of had a lot going on. Like, Zoe Saldana and Taryn Manning are incredible, incredible actresses that I've seen deliver some of the best work in other things. Taryn Manning in Orange is the New Black is an amazing character and actress. And Zoe Saldana, just like anything she's done, she's been great in. I love her in Guardians of the Galaxy especially. And 
I really liked what they brought to this, both their characters. Taryn Manning just being like the the burnout pregnant girl, but then like, you know, teaching Zoe Solon's character to fight and just the great scenes they all had together and how she's also a wannabe singer and, and Zoe Saldana being like the uppity just the uppity one that's like the rich popular girl, but then like having all these problems with her boyfriend and like they were all given stuff to do and character arcs through the whole movie. There was a lot of care put into that that I was not expecting going into a 13% or whatever Rotten Tomatoes movie that everyone pans. Like, they're good characters. They have stuff in the script to do, and they deliver on it. So Mimi, who's playing by Tiern Manning, uh, her character, when we first meet her, is a pregnant teen mom. Um, It's framed as though she had, she got... Uh, knocked up by her high school boyfriend. Yeah. But then we learn later on that she was at a party around Christmas and a guy offered to drive her home and took advantage of her. And at the end of the movie, we find out that the person who did that was actually um, Kit, who is played by Zoe Saldana, uh, was actually her boyfriend. And that really comes to a head. So part of the reason that Kit is going on this road trip is because her boyfriend or her fiance um, is going to university in California and he's been dodging her um, requests to come home to visit um, continuously says, Oh, I can't right now. I can't right now. I can't right now. So seeing an opportunity to go on this road trip, she decides that she's going to go and surprise him, which of course doesn't turn out well. She finds out that he's cheating on her. And also it comes to light that he's responsible for her friend being pregnant and the fact that he raped her. And also, you know, the, the fighting that Mimi has been teaching her this whole time also comes to a head during this moment because she, she, she punched, yeah, she punches him, him or something. Yeah. So we get, you know, that extra bond of, you know, the fight training that, because it becomes useful mm-hmm. in a scene where she's defending her friend against. Yeah this guy who abused her. So, and then yeah, we'll talk more about that scene, but like, I, I like how they all had their little way of getting on the road trip together because so often how the road trip starts in these road trip movies is so just like, we just need a reason for them to be in the car and we're just going to make up some dumb reason. They're all in the car. Okay, great. They're going. I like that. They all organically came to this. Like Mimi is going to her audition in LA and then Kit decides, oh, that's near where my boyfriend is. He's not, uh, he's being shady and dodgy. I'm going to go meet up with him. And Lucy wants to meet her mom along the way. And they all, even though they don't like each other at this point so much, have a reason to be in the car together that makes sense. Yeah. And then I guess we haven't even mentioned, um, it's Ben, right? Yes, it's Ben, who is in this movie, which we haven't mentioned yet. I don't think he necessarily needs to be, but Ben is the... He is the literal vehicle yes, for this story. Yes, the literal vehicle. The literal vehicle. He's the one with the convertible that they are driving across the country in. He's the one driving. Literally, he's the vehicle. He's also the love interest for Lucy in this movie. And in the beginning of the movie, everyone thinks that he... Well, he's been to jail, everyone knows, but we don't know why. And they think he's killed a man. I made a note... Asking if there was a trend in the early 2000s where there was, like, a hot guy who was rumored to, like, yes, have murdered somebody. that was a thing. Because, I was like, also comes up in 10 Things I Hate About You. And I'm sure there yeah. are other, like, teen yeah. oh, totally. movies that also have that. It's so weird. 
Yeah. It's the sexy bad boy thing, I guess. I mean, you can be a bad boy, not be rumored it's to the, murder someone. It's the whole thing about, like, oh, he's dangerous, and I'm kind of into that. And then you find out in a tender moment later, no, I didn't murder someone. It was, like, either it was um, some sort of defense of someone they loved, or, in this case, he just, like, had a selfless act where he, like, saved his uh, sister-in-law, or not sister-in-law, um, stepsister. And by dragging his stepsister across a border and not being directly related to her, he violated, like, a law about taking a child from their parents or something and got sent to jail for it. Yeah, taking a minor yeah. across state lines when they're not, yeah. like, your family or something like that. Something dumb like that. I thought it was adorable that they all just, like, were totally, at first, scared. Like, oh, we found out midway on this trip that maybe he's murdered someone. Eh, we're fine. We'll just keep going. Like, <laughs> they're totally fine with it after that. Just, like continuing on this road trip with a potentially dangerous murderer. It's actually one of the best parts of this movie for me, I think, is once that comes out, the weird things they do to, like, yes. avoid being alone with him. Yeah. Like, they stop at a grocery store to pick up some snacks, and he's like, oh, I'll come in with you. And they're like, no, 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 like, stay in the car. And then <laughs> eventually, I think Lucy is the last one alone with him, and then she also makes some awkward excuse to, like, yeah. not be in the car with him as well. And it's just... He's very aware that, like, something is amiss. Yeah. But, and they're not even being in any way subtle about their efforts yeah. as well, which really just plays into the comedy of it. As much as he was, like, a useless fourth wheel, I didn't mind Ben as a character, really. I really like the actor who I've seen in other things, and he's really cute, so that helped. <laughs> I just like the one point where he takes off his shirt for the first, first time, and he's got, like, stupid wing tattoos on or something like that was such a thing Still a very is. early 2000s yeah. thing no i liked all three of the girls and i definitely think that it was smart in how they wrote lucy to kind of be not the central focus of a lot of this like she's not the one with the rapey boyfriend or the one who's pregnant or the one who's going through a lot of emotional stuff she's got her mom's subplot which she does an okay job with, I think, and she delivers the emotion in that. But a lot of the heavy lifting is by her friends in this movie, and I think it's a smart call. Like, it works. Mm -hmm. I think the other two deliver on a lot of the emotion we need from this movie. My favorite scene is when, um, after what we've talked about, the confrontation of uh, Kit's boyfriend, uh, Mimi falls down the stairs during this confrontation, and it turns out that um, she's had a miscarriage. And... She gives the great line, like, oh, they told me I lost it. Like, it's a pair of keys or something that you can just lose. And it was, like, a kind of a good, powerful line. And, like, she really delivered on it. And she confesses, like, yeah, somewhere along this trip, I decided I actually wanted to keep the baby. Because it's turned out that, like, she was also going to L.A. to potentially, like, foster it to someone or sell it to someone, I think. Yeah, I think. Sell it to a rich lady be... or something like that. There was going to be some sort of adoption yeah. situation. But she decided somewhere along the way, after bonding with her friends, that, like, no, I actually want to keep this baby. Also, and, just, like, you know, having... a very emotional scene. Just, like, having an abortion on screen and TV or a movie. Like, or having a woman, right? like, have a miscarriage yeah. and actually talk about it. Yeah. Because miscarriages are very common. And, you know, it's really not talked about the fact that it's common or, you know, the way that women feel mm -hmm. after they have them at all. So to include that and have her, you know refer to the language yeah. and sort of the diminishing term mm -hmm. that they use, you know, oh, you lost it. 
and the way that we can use that for all kinds of things really disconnects it from, like, the emotional experience of it. The other thing about Lucy is, like, it's not just the thing with her mom. Like, the other thing she's grappling with is she's got so much pressure from her dad, who's a blue-collar guy he owns. Auto repair shop. Yeah, he's a mechanic, and he owns an auto repair shop, which is the reason why she knows a lot about fixing cars, and also how much it would cost to fix cars specifically, because she's familiar with the business side. And, you know, just before they go on the road trip, her dad has, you know, pulled a lot of strings to get her an internship working at a hospital, which will really help her when she goes to medical school, Mm -hmm. which is very clearly told to us is not her dream. It is his dream. But she's worked so hard and she's sacrificed so much of her teen years by, you know, staying home and studying and not going to parties, which is one of the reasons why she's fallen out with both Mimi and Kit, because she's kind of become you know, this introverted recluse, not by choice, Mm -hmm. um, so that she can achieve her father's dream for her. So she's also grappling with sort of the guilt of the fact that she's left all of that. And, you know, every time she talks to him on the phone, which comes up a couple of times because she calls to like, let him know where she's gone. He's furious at her. And he tells her, you know, I did all of these things to make sure that you could get this thing. And now like, you need to come back right away. And she also calls him because she wants to go home when they have a fight. And she's about to call. Yeah. Well, she does call and then she hangs up just as he's answering the phone. But, you know, they've had an argument and it's very clear that being on this road trip for an extended period of time is going to be emotionally and mentally taxing and Mm -hmm. is not worth, you know, the potential outcome for her. Yeah. But, you know, then they have a tender moment where she decides, you know, I'm going to stick it out. Yeah. So I think she does a good job with what she's been given in this movie. I especially think her scene with Kim Cottrell, who plays her mom, when she finally does get to Arizona, she decides, like, okay, you guys keep going. Um, I'm going to stay here mm-hmm. and see my mom. And uh, they're like, okay, we'll be in this uh, motel in town if you need us, etc. So they leave. She waves goodbye. She goes into her mom's house, and her mom has this big, fancy house in Arizona and is... Um, very odd to to odd greeting because obviously this is not planned and all that. And turns out, surprise, Kim Cadrell, her mom, has an entire new family with two new sons and has a hundred percent moved on and basically tells her, like, uh, I was forced to keep you by my dad and it was um a, a it was like a mistake and like I've moved on from you yeah. and I don't want you in my life. And it's, like, we don't see a lot of that, which was a good call. Like, we get the beginning, and then Brittany basically, Lucy says after, oh, this is what she said. So we don't have, like, the whole scene of her being told all this, but we get a little bit of it. And I think Brittany does, like, a pretty good job of, like, the sudden realization that she's having looking at these photos of these um, young kids that Kim Cattrall has and, like, realizing all this. Like, it was good. Yeah, her mom even, like, takes a phone call during yeah. the time that they're together. And I think Lucy asks, like, if she can hang around so she can meet, like, her half-brothers. Mm-hmm. And she's flatly told, like, yeah. no. Like, it's a, there's a very clear line being drawn between, like, you are my old family and this is my new family and, like, never yeah. the twain shall meet. And I think she really does play well at, you know, like, the emotional defeatedness of, like, traveling all this way. And being stonewalled like that. Yeah. Uh, so let's talk about things that we didn't like about them. <laughs> I still have more I want to talk about than I like. Okay. Um, I really liked a lot of this movie. 
we can just get the fashion stuff out of the way. I liked a lot of the outfits in this. Surprise, surprise, a movie set in 2002 has fashion, I think, is fun. But I especially loved, I screamed in joy when she goes on with her stuff to, to join, Lucy goes to join them on the car ride over. And her um, road trip outfit of choice is a bucket hat. And it is glorious. I missed the bucket hats. Brittany in the bucket hat made me so happy. And the whole movie, I'm just writing down notes like, there needs to be more bucket hats. Where's the bucket hat? Bring, hashtag, bring back the bucket hat. And then they have a scene on the beach later, and she's wearing the bucket hat again. I think it might even be a different bucket hat this time. It was wonderful. Her final performance outfit, where, surprise, yes, Brittany gets the gig at the end or whatever. And is it, I don't know, I don't remember actually exactly how it ends, but she's singing her final performance song at the end. And she's wearing this, like, really fun outfit with these giant-ass, like, peasant sleeves. Is that what you call it? Like, the really, really long, dramatic cuffed sleeves at the end. It's like a peasant sleeve. With, like, I would have to all the midriff in the world and just all sleeves. And it was, like, it reminded me a little bit of, like, the final outfit in the Lizzie McGuire movie. I think the outfit that she wears in that scene is actually the outfit she wears in the music video for I'm Not a Girl, Not Yet a Woman. Huh. Interesting. I think so. But like, the, like just the weird amount of midriff from the Lizzie McGuire movie, and like the weird amount of midriff from this movie at the very final performance, and like, love it. Look, some for whatever reason in the early two thousands, we were really interested in like bare torso. Yes, it's great. So all that, obviously, I loved. Also, I thought this movie was shot really gorgeously. A lot of these road trip scenes made me feel like nostalgic they made me feel hopeful they they were breathtaking a lot of these shots of like the these big open stretches of highway in the in the states that i've never been to but and the convertible was really great like i thought the convertible shot looked really well all these scenes they're having singing in the car made me feel like such warm happy feelings like of being in the car with your friends and like great music like the music in this movie is great a lot of it's not Britney. I don't think like any of it's Britney except for like the couple songs she sings. There's Madonna in here. We get some in sync. There's great contemporary music in this, and it's not just crammed full of Britney songs, which I thought was interesting. We even get some Shania Twain. Like, there's great music in this. <laughs> I was jamming. Like, I really, really liked a lot of the road trip aspect of this movie, and that's what a good road trip movie should do. It should make you feel like nostalgic for being on the road with your friends and it brought up all those feelings that like that kind of movie should. I think with respect to like the feel of some of those wide shots when they're traveling yeah, really speaks to Tamara Davis's experience as a, like a music video director yeah, that makes because sense. that's a very common thing where you, you know, you get these like wide shots and they're mm-hmm. intended to invoke a specific feeling you know, in like a three to five minute music video, five minutes is probably on the long side. But yeah, that's like definitely, you know, the intention of those types of things is to invoke a feeling and to have a lot of music video experience behind her before directing this. And then also having a good amount of movie directing before she directed this. Although I can't say I've seen most of the movies that I listed. I have seen Billy Madison, I think, but I haven't seen anything else. And I haven't seen Billy Madison in a while. So, you know, she definitely had a good grasp of, you know, how to frame a scene and to invoke an emotion in a particular way. We got all my notes about bucket hats. (laughs) And we, we briefly touched on it, but I just want to mention Dan Aykroyd is amazing. 
as the dad in this. He is one of my favorite, like, always playing the dad actors that does such a good job. And he plays, like, a lot of different types of dads, which, you know, if you're going to be pigeonholed into just playing the dad and everything, at least, like, play different versions of the dad. And he's really not in this movie a whole lot. Like, no. he's in, you know, a good amount of the beginning, and then we get the couple callbacks like, to him throughout. But the he casting can't. in this, like, even casting Kim Cattrall for one scene where she's as the mom, like, she does a great job, like, a cast. Mm-hmm. Even Justin Long showing up for the one scene he was in, like... I know Justin Long only plays, especially in this time period, he plays his one character. He's pretty very good at awkward, it. Very awkward, very awkward, nerdy. nerdy. I love him in Ed. He's great in Ed. Yeah. I, I mean, I really like this movie. <laughs> I have other random things down, but I think that's most of what I wanted to touch on. Do you want to do a real quick, like, lightning pass of just very quick mentions of things that you liked that don't need a lot of discussion? Mm. I just have weird written things written down. Like, I really liked Mimi's denim bag with all the buttons on it. I love a denim bag, and I love buttons, and it's just, like, covered in buttons. Like, that's that's my dream. I was wondering where all the scenes of them doing laundry were, because, like, it's a road trip movie, and uh, it was a pretty long road trip across the whole country, and there's not one scene or mention of them doing laundry. I was very curious how they thought... Brittany thought they could get across the whole country on $438 or something when they're staying in a motel every night. Like, the budget for their motel, like, a motel now, if you're going to stay in a motel, what, that's like, let's be generous, like, what, 60 to 100 bucks a night or something? A lot of these places? I think there are some places that you can stay that are pretty cheap, but I... $438 to get across the country, including gas, food, and lodging? Yeah. And Brittany thought, oh, it'll be tight. It'll be tight. What are you paying on... Food and gas, then, if you're staying in a motel every night. Yeah, I don't know. We're talking, like, 2002 money. Oh, I really liked the part of um, Kit's backstory about um, her mom and how her mom made her go to Fat Kent every summer. I made a note that says, ah, our old friend with fat shaming. Yes, and that when she did lose the weight, her mom uh, was even more distant because now she was prettier than her or something. And like. Yeah. Yeah, the complex relationship yeah. with with your mom where you can never make them happy. Yeah. Uh, I really like the uh, version that Britney sings of I Love Rock and Roll. It's such a great song, her cover of it. I used to listen to that all the time. I also have the same note. The, <laughs> like the last minute karaoke contest to raise money for your broken car is like not the most elegant trope or writing. Like, like, oh no, our car broke down. Oh, it's going to cost all this money. We don't have the money. And then Mimi's like, oh, I know what we can do. And it's like a last minute like karaoke contest in town. And it's like, I'm into it. I love a karaoke contest. Even just the fact that Lucy was able to like say, it's exactly this problem. Yeah. It will cost exactly this much money plus labor. So they knew exactly how much money they would need. You know, was could be seen as very convenient, but we already have it pre-established yeah. that because of how she grew up and her dad's uh, job that she would already know this. Yeah. But, it, you know, in any other context, you'd be like, wow, like it's awfully <laughs> convenient that, you know, like down to the cent, basically how much money you need for this. I love that when they're, um, they're singing in this karaoke contest, it's not like, oh, the best singer wins the money or whatever at the karaoke contest. It's everyone's going to sing their karaoke number and the, we're going to pass around jars, and everyone's going to tip them, and whoever gets tipped the most wins. And I'm just sitting there like, it's just a drag show then? Like, it's just like, it's just a drag show. You're just passing around jars and tipping a bunch of ones at a bunch of people performing on stage. It's, 
they're just drag queens. Which, then I wrote the note down, like, this movie needs more drag queens. It's a road trip movie. <laughs> they should have, like, pretended to be drag queens and stopped at a local bar and, like, done a drag number to raise money. I also wrote down that I think it would have been better if they were all witches, but, you know. I don't know. It was the scene where they were going to uncover their box in the middle of, like, a dark woods in the middle of the night, and they're all, like, gathered around. I'm like, they should all be witches, because that makes everything better. Witches and drag queens would fix this movie, is what I'm saying. And more bucket hats. Or I'm over the whole virginity being the most important thing ever in these teen movies, but eh, we touched on that. I like the scene, but, like, I hate, I agree that, like, why does that have to be such an important thing of all these movies? I think that also just comes back to the weird way that we tied virginity to Britney, because yeah, that was, like, a whole thing with her when she first mm-hmm. started to gain popularity. Should we talk about things we don't like about the movie? If I can find any, I guess. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I would say one of the big things for me was... The integration of Britney's actual music into this movie was yeah. really yeah. weird and clunky and, like, did not work at all. Mm. I don't know. It kind of worked for me. Like, the fact that it starts off as, like, poems she's writing in her journal, and then he sets it to music, and then, like... It just didn't feel like, like it fit the tone of the movie for me, based on, like, all of the other music that had been used previously. I did come around on the fact that I'm not a girl, I'm not yet a woman is actually, like, a pretty good song even though the title is yeah not great i like it it's one of my favorite songs it's just yeah one of those songs that got heavily lambasted in the public when it came out i wasn't in public discourse at the time when it came out to know that you're lucky so there was just like a lot about you know like the the framing of the title and everything and like what it was supposed to mean and blah 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 and it was just People being really stupid about something yeah. that was I think it's, relatively straightforward. It's such a good song because, like, it is that awkward thing where, like, you're not a little girl anymore, but you're still in this awkward in-between place. You're not a woman yet. You're not a girl. And you don't know how to feel about your body, how about other people should feel about your body, about, like, your sexuality and all this stuff, right? Like, you're in this weird place, and this movie does a good job of, you know, kind of capturing some of that. So I thought it was, it was a good song to pick. I kind of like that it starts off as, like, these poems she's writing, and then Ben is, of course, like, a talented songwriter, piano person, or whatever, like, sets it to this song, and that scene... The word you're looking for is musician. Musician, whatever. (laughs) Well, not just a musician, but someone who, like, composes. Composer. I'm looking for the word composer. There you go. He composes the music to set to her lyrics. (laughs) I just wrote down, like, I can't believe this Ben guy invented I'm Not a Girl. This actual murderer and songwriter Ben... This 35-year-old Ben who murdered someone and is driving these three girls across the country to sell the one girl's baby to a rich lady. Ben wrote, I'm not a girl. (laughs) This is just like, I was having a lot of fun with Ben because he's clearly like, she's a teenager. She just graduated. And he's, I don't know. He's he's been to jail. He's in his late 20s. I think he's supposed to be in like his early to mid 20s. Okay, well, you know, he's got a full-winged back tattoo and is a murderer. And, like, <laughs> it's just <laughs> it was so weird how, like, this, like, baby Brittany's love interest in this movie is, like, some back-tatted prison guy. And it's, like, who's writing the, like, he invented I'm Not a Girl, <laughs> I But guess. you know what? He respected her boundaries. <laughs> yes, and he respected her agency. And you can't help who you love I liked sometimes. Ben in this movie. 
I don't want to shit on him like some of the other male leads in some other movies, but... I, I think calling him a male lead in this movie is incredibly generous. Who else is a male lead in this movie? He's a supporting actor. Uh, he's got a whole character arc in this movie, too, and, like, he's pretty important. I guess. I, I don't think we need him here, honestly, but... I mean, I guess we need... Brittany can't write her own song, so we've got to have him write it for her. Well, I mean, she... She wrote the wrote lyrics. The lyrics. She did. Yeah. It's it's weird. That scene was just funny to me. I kept laughing. Like, oh my god, Ben, he invented the song. I think it was just something about that particular song being used. Also, like, she seemingly didn't have a single, like, thought in her mind to, like, set this to music. It was like, he was really, like, the creative force here or whatever. I don't know. I think that's one thing about this movie is... Like, there is a lot of indication that Lucy was musically minded and that she did want to pursue music. Yeah. But, like, there's not really a lot in the movie up until, like, the point that it happens that really supports that. We get a couple little things. Like, at the very beginning of the movie during graduation, one of her teachers comes up to her and her dad. And like, oh, so you're going to continue to take voice lessons when you go to college? And her dad interrupts and goes, no, she's going to be way too busy taking all these science courses and biology and chemistry and all this other stuff. Like she has no time for electives. Um, and it's clear that like, it's something she wants to pursue, but it's not given like a ton of attention. Yeah. It's really until her friends force her onto stage at the karaoke. And until Ben writes a song, like composes music for her that like, she starts to be thrust into it, I guess. She doesn't make a lot of actual attempts herself to do it. I also just made a note that I, I think, that overall the acting in this movie is like not great even from people what? like zoe and taryn who later have good. done it wasn't terrible but like it wasn't great it's not the caliber of acting that i have seen from taryn manning and zoe saldana since then and like i mean no shade to britney you know she like she didn't do a terrible job and i no. think that she brought the appropriate amount of quiet awkwardness to Lucy that was required for the character. Yeah. But, like, nothing in this movie in terms of the acting was, like, incredible. I think it's on par with, you know, what we were saying about Glitter, you know, is, like, it's, mm. like, <laughs> your feelings are your feelings, okay. and my feelings are my yes. feelings. Yes, so yes, it's yes. just, like, I felt like, you know, it could have been better. Yeah, oh, for sure. I think Mariah did some pretty good stuff in Glitter. Like, I could see a lot of why she could be potentially a good actress in there, at least. Like, I could see the spark of that. I didn't see a lot of spark here from Brittany that, like, oh, Brittany has a career. Like, I didn't see anything like that. From both Taryn and Zoe, I could see in this movie, like, oh, they could be really good. Like, they delivered on the emotion, especially when Zoe's talking about her mom and when Taryn has the scene talking about her, her baby. Like, I could see it in them. Like, I could see really good things coming from both of them. I thought Ben did a pretty good job. I really liked the parents in this. Brittany, yeah, I think she did what she needed to do. I think they made smart choices writing Lucy as the kind of character she was and giving a lot of that emotional lifting to other characters worked for me. I mean, it's it's not trying to be, I don't know, the English patient or something. Like, I think for the kind of movie this is, like, it's it's a, a road trip movie about a friendship of girls and I thought they all brought exactly what they needed to. It was wonderful. Yeah. I wouldn't say that there's, like, a lot of things that I didn't like. I think primarily it was the integration of Britney's music was kind of clunky, and, like, the acting was shaky in some places for me. Mm, fair. But um, 
yeah, overall, like, it's a passable movie. Like, it's not a movie that should have received as much negative criticism as it did. I've, I've definitely seen worse movies recently. Yeah. Personally, if I had seen this when I was, when this came out and I was, like, in middle school or whatever, I would have probably been obsessed with this movie. Like, this is probably one of the movies I would have watched a lot growing up if I had seen it at the time, because it's like a, it's kind of feel good. Like, I really like the characters. It made me feel good. I like all the road trip stuff. Like, I love a road trip movie. And I think this is something I would have put on fairly frequently or flipped to any time it was on TV and had a lot of, like, good nostalgic feelings for it if I'd seen it at the time. I feel like it's probably similar for a lot of people who saw this one, though, too. I'm almost surprised that this is a movie that isn't, like, a regular TV rerun kind of thing, because it definitely has that sort of feel to it, for sure. I'm confused at why this would get panned so much. Again, I think... It's clearly got talented directing and writing and actors behind it. I think it's probably just down to, like you said, like, Britney and people not wanting to see past that. Yeah, it really was, you know, a time when Britney was facing a lot of criticism about just about everything, and... Like, Mariah, you know, it's like, oh, she's just a pop star. Like, she can't act. We should expect nothing. It's a movie for girls, therefore it's bad. Yeah. Also, just as a note, I guess this doesn't go anywhere specific. I thought it was very smart, and also I was very surprised that Jamie Lynn Spears plays young Lucy in this movie. Really? You didn't notice that? No. Yeah, as soon as the beginning scene uh, came up, I was like, oh my god, like, that's Jamie Lynn Spears. So I thought it was very smart for them to just use Brittany's younger sister to play a younger version of her, because they look very similar. I also want to say, I like that the movie starts with them burying a box with all their hopes and dreams, and uh, and ends with them burying a box, like, putting the past behind them. Like, moving forward. Mm-hmm. It was a nice close. Yeah, a good way to book in the story. Yeah. Uh, in terms of the box, for things that were in there... Oh, it's dumb. Yeah. <laughs> Mimi buried a little keychain of the world because she wanted the world. That was her, her dream. She wanted to leave her shit town. Yeah. And um, Lucy put in a keychain with a picture of her and her mom because she wanted to be able to reconnect with her mother. Mm-hmm. And I forget what... Uh, a yes. wedding Barbie doll because she okay. wanted to get married. Yeah, and then at the time that we see them, she's yeah. engaged to a terrible person. Yeah, I thought the box as a concept, all that was good, but I was just like, seriously, girls, you don't remember what you put in this box like six years ago because like you were like ten or something when you put this box in the ground. And you're, they also like, dug like now. six inches underground yeah. to get that. I'm yeah. like, no, you're like, way. oh my god, the Barbie. I'm like, there's three things in this box and you can't remember the three you only put one thing in the box you probably spent the last year after putting that wedding barbie in the box being like shit i put my wedding barbie in the box and i want to play with it now like you would remember that you don't have unless she's just had multiple wedding barbies or bought a second one just to put in this damn box that's entirely plausible yeah i was like really movie at least put some things in there they can dig through like they were like I, I, I remember, oh, what's going to be in this box? Oh, I don't know. It was, like, suspenseful. <laughs> it's weird. Yeah. So where would you put this on our ketchup scale? Perfect as is? Could use some ketchup or douse it? I really want to put it as perfect as is. For, like, as it is. For what this movie is. I don't know. I really Like, I'm not going to say cast Britney as someone else. Like, yeah, I would say perfect as is, honestly. I thought this, for what this movie is trying to do and trying to be, it succeeds in every way it, it, for me. 
it's not trying to be a crazy, like, important message movie. It's got some nice heartfelt things in there. It's about female friendship, and it works. I like music. I'm going to say it could use some catch-up, but not a lot. I think not integrating Britney's music into it and, like, trying to make this movie act mm. as a vehicle for that and just, like, letting her be in a movie that has, you know, like, a, a good story and a good arc for her character would be better than trying to be, like, also, by the way, like, Britney Spears, giant pop star, like, is also in this movie and, like, try to tie it to that because it felt weird to do that. Mm. And it didn't work for me. And a little bit of the acting... A little bit of, like, as we were just talking about, you know, with their little dream box, you know, like, they had more than one dream in the box, <laughs> you know, to remind them of. Um, because, like, probably at that age, you know, when you're a kid, you know, the things that you want to be when you grow up is never just one thing. Yeah. You know, there are kids who want to be, I want a teacher, I want to be a teacher, I want to be a vet, I want to be a doctor, I want to be a, like, I want to be everything I can possibly be, you know. Yeah. So, just to kind of give them a little bit of something extra to kind of lend to the drama of that scene. But yeah, it's definitely a movie that coming at it from a good amount of time, you know, it's like, it's not the best movie, but it's definitely not the worst movie by any, by any stretch. That's it for us this episode. Join us again next time where we catch up on more movies with each other. For updates on future episodes and other news, make sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, all at Movie Ketchup Pod.